Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to the Billboard Charpy Podcast. Gary Trust, Billboard's co-director of charts. And hey guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. In New York, this is our second podcast of the week, a special emergency podcast we did on Tuesday. Camila Cabello, our special guest, because she's number one on the Hot 100 this week for the first time with Havana. Yeah, so hopefully all the Camilizers out there enjoyed that one. So for her to be there, um, you know, on on reveal day and obviously she was really excited and you could tell just how genuine she was about that uh also another piece of news in there was that her her next song never be the same hit the top 40 she almost dropped the phone you told her that you broke the news to her i know i we all you know and she almost seemed more excited about that like she literally like she said almost dropped the phone uh, so, uh, yeah, Camila Cabello, uh, our special guest on uh, Tuesday's podcast, uh, back with another one uh, today, focusing on the Grammy Awards. We have Paul Grine uh, coming up here on the podcast, uh, founder of the Billboard Sharpie column back in Billboard Magazine 1981. Huge Grammy fan. He's uh, been following the Grammys for years. So uh, we're going to get his uh, takes on some of the biggest categories, uh, give some of our opinions too. talk about uh, some some uh, possible snubs uh, this year. Just get into all things Grammys coming up uh, with Paul Grine. Uh, we'll talk more about uh, the Billboard Hot 100 uh, coming up. And uh, oh, what's our flashback, Trevor? We are going to take a trip back to uh, 1973. That'll kick us off. Um, Speaking of Grammy Awards, we'll talk about a song that went to number one this week back then that kicked off one of the great Grammy runs of all time. Right now, this week's top 10 for number 10 to number one on the Billboard Hot 100. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Number 10. Put that thing in sports. Shout it bad. Pop a like a you a dork, never been a sport, dork, pull up, jump and not Number nine. It's true. I'm way too good at goodbye. I'm way too good at goodbye. Number eight.
number seven. Number lie to you there it is bringing us out a brand new tune at number one havana by camila cabello featuring young thug i say brand new tune when it's really anything but <laughs> the song has been on the hot 100 for 23 weeks so it took 23 weeks to get to the number one spot and if you're wondering that seems like a long time that's almost six months uh yeah it is a long time and it actually uh, ties a record for the longest wait to get to number one by a female artist. In taking 23 weeks, it ties uh, Sia's Cheap Thrills with Sean Paul, uh, which hit number one back in late summer of 2016. And then before that, you got to flip the books back all the way to the 80s. We're talking about Patty Austin. If any of the young bloods know Patty Austin is out there, her song with James Ingram, Baby Come to Me, very 80s appropriate so uh so all three songs uh with a male uh, artist as well okay interesting uh, progression you go from the 80s where it was a singer uh, james ingram sean paul rapper singer reggae and now uh, young thug rapper sean paul's man of many talents jack of all trades and uh you you talk about uh, such an 80s song i'm sure that was on one of the i don't you're probably too young to do you remember those tv commercials where they would have uh, compilations of 80s love songs well, I remember like, yeah, the, like there's the 80s, 90s versions where yeah. it's it, it scroll up like all, right. you know, you oh, get some Air Luther, supply, all Luther and right, Celine yeah. and every six or seven, then they, you know, change the song out. Probably, right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, of course. That, that feels like a song that was uh, perfect. I'm, I'm sure it was in a lot of those commercials. I am. Yeah. A hundred, hundred percent. But yeah, so Camila, Camila ties that. And I know for a lot of people, and I guess I have to kind of raise my hand here as well. Some people thought this day might not come. Havana had been number two on Hot 100 for five weeks. Uh, at the end of last year, stuck behind Post Malone's Rockstar and Ed Sheeran's Perfect. It had dipped down to number three for a little bit, got back to that number two spot for the last two weeks. So seven weeks overall at number two. Finally, though, finally, it 
has enough momentum behind it, really a big streaming game this week that powers it to the top spot. The album uh, came out, uh, Camila uh, debuts at number one on the Billboard 200. So, uh, so much buzz in the tracking week helped uh, the profile for Havana. Uh, the song was on sale to an iTunes uh, for 69 cents, so it had a good sales gain. Airplay is still big. It's uh, number two in Airplay, uh, it's number one in streaming. So, uh, yeah, the, the combination of uh, Perfect uh, has started to come down just enough. Havana held on just long enough, and then with the album coming out, gave it that boost that, uh, you know, it's the, it, it, and you're absolutely right. It was starting to look like maybe it's just not going to happen. It's going to be one of those long-running, uh, seven-week, number two songs, but uh, the buzz of the album helped do it. Well, it particularly felt like, I mean, sometimes there have been cases where a song is kind of blocked by one song at number one. Uh, this one's kind of interesting because two songs really had done it in. Right. I mean, when Post Malone was number one and you felt like it was going to be that kind of one-two combo for a while, and then Ed Sheeran's Perfect had leapfrogged it, and at that point it seemed like, you know, I mean, if you're going to get blocked on, you know, by two different songs and it really feels like there's, there's, there's no way it's, you're going to be the third number one of that. But, hey, she made it. It was, uh, it was Beyonce kind of uh, kept Camila from maybe uh, going to number one. Uh, the remix came out and that helped uh, push Perfect to number one. I guess um, is Camila throwing away Lemonade and, and Sasha Fierce and all those things now? Yeah, you look back uh, over the Hot 100's history, won't uh, mention every song, but there's been so many number two hits that feel kind of like they were on that level of a number one hit and just kept out uh, for, for various reasons uh, timing uh, uh, some of the most recent uh, number two hits before well now Havana isn't on that group but uh, Wild Thoughts by uh, DJ Khaled featuring Rihanna and Bryson Tiller uh, hit number two Zayn Taylor Swift uh, I Don't Want to Live Forever they were the last uh, two number uh, two hits both uh, last year but yeah I'm not sure those necessarily feel like Number one hits. The last one I go back to that really feels like it was a number one hit, although it peaked at number two. Uh, again, this is all subjective, but uh, doesn't Hotline Bling by Drake feel like a number one hit? You used to call me on my cell phone. Late night when you need my love. Call me on my cell phone. Late night when you need my love. And I know when that Hotline Bling. Um, yeah, yeah, I, th I think it does. I mean, especially just how big the video was and, and how much that, that really pushed it. Um, and, and it's one of those things that, that, that was a song that had a, a pretty good ride. I mean, it came out, you know, basically in the spring, summer of that year. Um, it kind of just cruised through as all, th you know, as all things Drake just streamed and just rode the wave. And then the video comes out, of course, and that becomes this sort of meme pop culture phenomenon that gets parodied left, right and center. So, yeah, I mean, as ubiquitous as that song was for such a long time, you're right. I mean, it feels weird at some point that it was not number one. All right, going back to uh, 2014, uh, Problem, Ariana Grande featuring Iggy Azalea. It's a number two hit. It again, feels like it's a number one hit, and it's actually Iggy uh, keeping herself uh, out of number one. Uh, problem number two, her own fancy was number one. You can only have one number one at a time, Iggy. Uh, 2012, uh, Maroon 5 uh, featuring uh, Wiz Khalifa, Payphone. 
It's a number two hit, and I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily remember that One More Night, the follow-up, was a nine-week number one, but Payphone stopped at number two. One thing I think definitely feels like a number one that was not is Taylor Swift's I Knew You Were Trouble. That song I remember was was everywhere at, at the top of the year. And if, to me, it feels like that song was obviously I still I stand by that, that it's the most important record in Taylor's career because it was the first time that she really 100 percent broke from country. Right. You know, worked with Max Martin and Shellback for the first time. Had that song flopped. There may never have been a 1989. Yeah. May have never been a reputation in the same way. But that song was such a such a monster on airplay. And I remember, you know, people always been, at least when I was in college, so a lot of people were really waiting on like a Taylor song they could just jam out to rather than something you kind of sing in your car that's a country song. And this was what they wanted. This is what they got. And this song was just, I mean, everywhere. And it really feels like, to me, it's aged better than the number one hit from that album, We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together. Oh, absolutely. feels a little... Yeah. I don't know. I'm just a little campy in a way. Yeah. I mean, it's it's fun. It's sing along, but this really feels like just a song that dominates airwaves. People want to stream. People want to hear. Maybe he's one of the all-time uh, examples at this point. Uh, Bad Romance, Lady Gaga. Yeah. Totally feels like a number one. Yeah, yeah I know a lot of people um, still to this day are probably surprised when you when you mention that it was that it was there. And, and of course, it was trapped behind some big number ones at the time. Empire State of Mind uh, was one of them. So obviously that song was, was massive everywhere too. But you're right. I mean, in the Gaga catalog, it, it feels like it should have got that number one. And uh, just so you know, some songs we're, we're not mentioning. Uh, some of these number two hits uh, had just kind of a one-week splash, maybe uh, due to sales. Uh, talking about another uh, Taylor song, uh, "Today Was a Fairy Tale," 2010. It was just sort of a, a one-week uh, uh, digital uh, sales hit. Uh, a few more I want to throw out there, just kind of some drive-by names. Uh, for sure, One Two Step by Sierra. I think I think a lot of people would uh, would remember that song fondly and remember that you know it, it came so close. Uh, looking at a few more from the 2000s, uh, I'll add uh, Boulevard of Broken Dreams by Green Day, uh, Beautiful, Christina Aguilera, Complicated, Avril Lavigne. Uh, Hang by Moment, Lifehouse, all feel like uh, number one hits. They got to number two, and interesting one in 2000, Breathe by Faith Hill, number two hit. But actually the number one song of that year on the Hot 100 had uh, just so many weeks uh, high on the Hot 100 that when all the numbers uh, were uh, tabulated at the end, number two hit on the weekly chart was number one uh, on the Hot 100. So a pretty good consolation prize. I was going to say, I don't think she's going to be upset by hearing that. Can't start a fire You can't start 
All right, we won't uh, go through the Hot 100's uh, whole history, but uh, just a few more from the 80s that, that stand out to me. Uh, uh, Dancing in the Dark, Springsteen, uh, first single from Born in the USA. It, uh, in some ways, the most commercial song he's ever done. Got stuck behind uh, When Doves Cry by Prince, so four weeks at number two. Uh, right before that, uh, Cindy Lauper, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, uh, number two. Hit, and then she'd hit number one uh, after that with uh, Time After Time. And I got to give a shout out to Prince, actually, right after Dancing in the Dark. He has the next song to peak at number two, right. which is Purple Rain. And I think just given how iconic the, the, the album and the soundtrack could become, I think a lot of people would think that the title track would have been the biggest hit off of there. But uh, Purple Rain had to settle for number two. Well, a little tougher in some ways for Springsteen because uh, Prince has had number one. Springsteen has never had a Hot 100 number one. So that was that was maybe his chance. Uh, before that, a uh, song that just, uh, it's sort of weird that the two of the biggest albums of the 80s, uh, the first singles, both got to number two, not number one, uh, Born in the USA, Dancing in the Dark, and Thriller, first single from Thriller, Girl is Mine, Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney, that's also a number two hit. Mm, I think when you ask people, though, like if that you know should be a number one hit, I think most people would probably say, nah, I mean, if you had, if you had to rank the songs on Thriller, I don't know if that one ends up in the top half right i mean of course after this the next two singles billy jean beat it both become number ones and that just feels the, just the star power of michael jackson paul mccartney first single no one knew how big thriller was going to be obviously at the time it's more a little bit more in retrospect that you look back but eh, kind of interesting right two of the biggest albums of the 80s lead singles peak to number two yeah all right got anything else from uh, way before that trevor well i've got one that 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 there's a chart hit but i think a couple things too that have aged so well in pop culture that it is so ubiquitous in a lot of ways and everybody knows that you think it must have been a number one hit want to go right before the 80s uh, in 79 there are a couple songs that i think that have aged so well in the popular music canon uh we are family by sister sledge it's just one of those things if you sing that hook to anybody they're gonna know it they're gonna they sing along with it it just feels like it must have been so big at the time right which obviously being a number two hit it was really big at the time but not a number one uh, unfortunately blocked out of the top spot by the reigning queen of the era, Donna Summer, yeah. and Hot Stuff right. was number one at the time. Legitimate so. number one. If you're going to not get to number one, that's that's a pretty good song to lose to. I mean, Hot Stuff is also one of the songs that it, everyone would know that hook as well. Right. Um, and two number twos, actually, Before We Are Family, uh, another kind of thing in that same vein, YMCA by The Village People. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, we everyone's done that in, in gym class or, a, you know, a sock hop or some school dance or whatever, and it feels like, how, you know just like with the Macarena or some of these other huge dance moves, like how could YMCA, everybody knows it's so iconic, not have been a number one. And what kept that from number one? Uh, one of those one-two punches. At first it was Sheik's Le Freak. And then it was Rod Stewart's Do You Think I'm Sexy? Yeah. The first one I'll, I'll give it, you know, people know, you know, Le Freak, people know that one. Do You Think I'm Sexy? I always kind of look back as like, it's a, it's a little, it's a little odd number one. A little novelty because uh, it was Rod Stewart going disco, but it's a classic as well. It's a good time in the late seventies for some uh, all these songs that are stuck at number two behind hits. That these are all lasting songs. It's no YMCA, and that is the final word. All right, uh, that's uh, the top ten on the Hot 100 this week. Grammy Awards are Sunday night uh, in New York City. Uh, let's talk all about them. Let's find out now who uh, maybe uh, is going to walk away with uh, some of the biggest prizes and who better uh, for us to uh, chat with than uh, the founder of the Charpie column uh, in Billboard. Uh, again, back in 1981, uh, wrote the column for more than a decade, still uh, follows music, writes about music, and a huge uh, fan of the Grammy Awards. Let's bring him in uh, from our L.A. Uh, office. 
Paul Grine, uh, our special guest on the Billboard Charpy Podcast, talking all about the Grammys. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Come and move that in my direction. Thankful for that, it's such a blessing, yeah Turn every situation into heaven, yeah Oh, you are my sunrise on the darkest Paul Grind, thank you so much for coming back on the Billboard Sharpie podcast. Thank you, it's a pleasure. We uh, Last time you were here was the, the very first episode uh, ever. Yeah. So, so we got into uh, your whole history of how uh, the chart beat uh, column started uh, in Billboard. So uh, the other thing that, that I know you're really a big fan of, uh, Paul, uh, is the Grammys. So uh, we wanted to uh, have you back on ahead of the Grammy Awards and uh, go through a bunch of categories, get some of your uh, picks for, for what you think uh, might do well this year. And, and uh, we'll give ours as well. I just wanted to ask you first, uh, Paul, how'd you originally, uh, obviously everyone, if you're a music fan, you, you get into the Grammys. But uh, do you remember when you first uh, really became a big a big fan? And, and not to date you, I'm, I'm sure mine. Uh, I, 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 I do remember. I um, got into music in 1971. Uh, before that, I was probably less into it than most of my friends in, uh, in junior high. Uh, I wasn't particularly into music. I was more into TV and sitcoms. And in 71, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And that was also, coincidentally, the first year of the live Grammy telecast. So it just, uh, it came together. And the Grammys, I'm sure a lot of chart fans feel the same way. It's it's another fun universe with its own database and its own history and and record setting. And, and, um, you know, so if you're into one, you're probably into the other. So for me, I don't know if there was a particular uh, year where I really remember it first, uh, watching the Grammys. Trevor, you're a big Grammys fan, too. Did, is there a specific moment for you? Um, no, no, I can't remember the first year. I mean, I feel like, you know, it's one of those things where you probably have it on in the house at some point, And you might, you know, your parents are watching it or whatever, so you kind of, you know, pay attention. I, 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 I actually, I will say probably I think the first year I remember actively watching the Grammy Awards, probably start to finish, maybe was 2000. Four, which um, of course that the, recently. Well, well, I'm 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 a young gun. <laughs> You're a youngster, okay? Yeah, I mean, I was I was in middle school in 2004, and I remember I was in middle school. Oh yeah. boy, yeah, I was, and I remember. Um, 
of course, the 2004 Grammys was a big one because it was the week right after the Super Bowl with Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake. So obviously, oh, like, that is a good first one. Yes, yeah, so with Justin going to be there, it was you know much more controversial. Yes. People were much more interested. Um, the bigger thing I remember that night was when Clocks by Coldplay won record over the record of the year over Crazy in Love, and that to me was a very yes. like. Because obviously, "Crazy in Love" was the much bigger hit. I remember it being a huge, right? Movie. Obviously, at Hot 100 number one, and it was a song that you know. I mean, in middle school, everyone you know knew it all. It was all, all the school dances. It was always on the radio, so it felt like it was the record of the year. And then I remember we were all like, "Who is Coldplay? What? Oh my god, the <laughs> Grammy sucks!" You know, that kind of thing. And so, um, but you know, that unpredictability about it is one of the things that uh, I think for a lot of people makes it a lot more fun. That year, uh, there were several urban R&B records that were nominated for Record of the Year. Outcast Hey Yeah was also nominated, and they split the vote, whereas Coldplay uh, you know, was the only record of its type that was nominated. So the pop and rock vote, which is huge in the Academy, uh, coalesced behind one record. That often is the case, that you'll have vote splitting and the outlier can win. Yeah, I, I remember mean, the first year I went in person was 1977, and it was the last time it was at the Palladium, which is you know a much smaller venue in Hollywood. Really? And it was also the last year Andy Williams hosted, and Barbara Streisand came out to present Record of the Year for to George Benson for this masquerade, and I remember thinking I could get into this <laughs> <laughs> to see Streisand, you know, not far from me you know walking on stage what a great legend and right. and it was very exciting and i have uh held on to that sense of excitement ever since have you been to a lot of grammy awards over the years i have over the years in recent years i've been watching from home because i'm writing at the same time and you know filing stories but um i've been to yeah quite a few uh, would you sh- share which one you think is probably your favorite one, whether it was a record-setting night or something historic happened? Which one did you like the most? Well, certainly the Thriller year was was very exciting. Oh, when you, were, Michael you were there? Jackson beca- I was. I was there. Oh, wow. The year he became the first artist to win eight uh, awards in one night. And in all these years since, it's only been uh, – that record's only been tied once by Santana. I was there, too. <laughs> Well, maybe, maybe you're the good luck charm in the house for. I must for, be, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, this year we're talking about uh, rock and R&B. It feels like this year, maybe for, for the first time, or at least in a while, the Grammys are seeming to be catching up more on R&B and hip hop. There's been obviously that's been a big narrative in recent years that uh, hasn't gotten to do with the Grammys, and feels like this year, at least from the nominees, that uh, much more inclusive uh, this year. Were you surprised by those nominations when they came out, Paul? Yes. Uh, All year long, I thought it would be a showdown between Ed Sheeran and Kendrick Lamar in the top three categories. Uh, In the same way that uh, a year ago, it was a showdown between Adele and Beyonce. And uh, I think it's possible that the nominations committee, the nominations review committee, uh, which makes the final determinations in the top four categories, saw the writing on the wall and saw the possibility of Ed Sheeran sweeping this year and another round of stories about how the Grammys always favor mainstream pop over hip-hop and R&B and didn't want that to happen again, so they just didn't nominate him in any of the top three categories, 
which I was shocked by. Certainly, I thought Shape of You deserved a nomination for Record of the Year, not just because it was a giant hit. You know, that isn't the whole story. That isn't what the Grammys are supposed to be about. But it was a departure for him, for somebody who made his name on ballads. And here he did something completely different and very convincingly. And I thought it deserved a slot for Record of the Year. I understand what I believe they tried to do, which was not give the voters those pure pop options. Um, And it'll be interesting to see what their maneuvering uh, results in, in terms of awards, because they have uh, Jay-Z and Kendrick Lamar up for both Record and Album of the Year. Uh, Childish Gambino is also up for those two awards and could further take uh, some votes away from fans of, of uh, you know, R&B and contemporary hip-hop. Um, so it, we could wind up with a situation where they split the vote, where if only one of them, say Kendrick, had been nominated, he might have done better than when he's splitting his votes with Jay-Z, who I think, you know, to a certain extent, appealed to the same constituency. Yeah, let's go through the major categories, so Paul, and then we'll go into okay. some other ones and, and uh, get your picks. That we'll, we'll give ours for, for the big four categories, and uh, we're just starting Great. to talk about this. For, uh, for Record of the Year, we'll start with Record of the Year. So the, the five uh, nominated uh, are Redbone, Childish Gambino. Despacito, Luis Fonzi, Daddy Yankee featuring Justin Bieber, Story of OJ, Jay-Z, uh, Humble, Kendrick Lamar, and 24 Karat Magic, Bruno Mars. What's your pick, Paul? I think it'll be Despacito. Not just because it was a giant hit, 16 weeks at number one, um, but also it, it was a very influential record in reopening the door for Latin pop and really making uh, several other you know, Latin pop records have been hits in its wake. And and kind of making that hopefully a, a permanent part of the top 40 landscape. Uh, it, it should have been all along. And also, I think the fact that you have two artists from Puerto Rico and one from Canada uh, singing a bilingual song, mostly in Spanish, some in English, will speak to a lot of voters in the Donald Trump era as a sign of you know, different types of people working together and, and getting along. And I think that kind of, uh, if only on a subconscious level, that dynamic will be playing in a lot of voters' minds. Yeah, that's my pick uh, too for what for what should win. Uh, yeah, we've seen on the charts you know, to tie the Grammys to the charts. Uh, uh, we've, we've, we've sort of dubbed it internally the, the Despacito effect when we've seen uh, Camila Cabello Havana become such a big hit. We feel like yeah, a wonderful be, record. Yeah, right. It, it may be Despacito opened doors for that. We're seeing uh, Debbie Lovato on the Latin chart, uh, Cardi B with Ozuna uh, singing in, in Spanish. So uh, it just seems like very quickly and usually these kind of trends take a little bit longer, but uh, in an era now where you can put out a song 
song more easily on, on streaming or, or digitally, uh, you can put out a song uh, pretty quickly, and it can reflect uh, those kinds of uh, those kinds of trends. So uh, yeah, I just feel like the the overall pop culture uh, impact that Despacito made uh, totally fitting uh, for record of the year. Trevor, is it is it unanimous uh, pick among the three of us? Uh, it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think for all those reasons that Paul noted, you know, just in terms of the cultural moment and, and that it's actually not just a one-off thing that we've seen the effects of it. Um, but I know Paul kind of kind of downplayed the, the, the hit factor a little bit, but, I mean, it does help in record of the year to, you know, be a huge song. I mean, the past, uh, you know, winners of this song have all either been number one hits or number two hits on the Hot 100, you know, basically this entire decade. I mean, last year was Adele's Hello. The year before we had Uptown Funk. Uh, the year before that was Sam Smith, Stay With Me, Get Lucky, Daft Punk, Pharrell, Gautier, going way back to somebody that I used to know, Rolling in the Deep before that. So, I mean, all these songs are massive hits. Everyone knows them very well. So that definitely plays into it. And, I mean, Despacito, by far, the biggest hit of the crowd. Uh, 16 weeks at number one doesn't guarantee that Despacito will win record of the year. Uh, the last record before it to have 16 weeks at number one was One Sweet Day, which was nominated but didn't win. Um, being a big hit is helpful, uh, but it, uh, our listeners should probably understand that it, it, it's not a, a guarantee. They, they occasionally, as with clocks, when that one. Uh, uh, U2's Walk On. There are things where it, if you're expecting just big hits to win, occasionally you'll be surprised. Can you listen to clocks at this point, Trevor? Or does it just make you make you sad when you hear clocks? Does it um, bring I, back bad I memories? don't care that badly. Uh, I'm sure, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm sure, uh, maybe Beyonce can't stand the song, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm li- <laughs> live and let go. Well, they, they, they recorded uh, him for the weekend together, so I think she's she's probably right. okay with it. Maybe maybe there is something there. Uh, all right, I, I was uh, I was the presenter on stage for for record of the year. Uh, Trevor, come out and, and uh, announce the nominees for album of the year. Oh, okay. Oh, the biggest prize of the night goes to goes to me. All right. Uh, so album of the year, um, a lot of the same names that we saw on record of the year will, will be up for this prize too. Um, Awaken my love, childish Gambino. We've got four forty four by Jay Z. Uh, Damn by Kendrick Lamar, Melodrama for Lord holding it down for the pop fans, and 24 Carat Magic, Bruno Mars. Good slate of nominees. Uh, Paul, what is your pick for who's going to take the biggest statue of them all album of the year? Well, I think uh, Bruno Mars will win for 24 Carat Magic. I think if only Kendrick Lamar or Jay-Z had been nominated, uh, either of them might have had a much better chance. But with both of them nominated, evenly, uh, two very evenly matched rap nominees, uh, it's tough. This is the fourth time that two rap albums have been nominated in the same year. Only once has one of them won when there were two nominated in the same year, and that was when Outkast beat Missy Elliott. But I think Outkast was clearly the, the chief rap album that year. This year, I don't think either one of these has a commanding edge over the other. Jay-Z has one more nomination than Kendrick, uh, even though I think Kendrick is the, has the critical support and, and uh, the sense that you know it's his time, it's his moment. So the, uh, to me, it's kind of a muddled picture as to which of them would win. And I think that clears an opening for something else. 
It reminds me of 1984 when Lionel Richie's Can't Slow Down beat Springsteen's Born in the USA and Prince's Purple Rain. And I remember thinking at the time that I don't think there are enough rock fans who are young and and kind of uh, progressive uh, for one of them to win when they're two splitting the vote right down the middle. And I think that allowed Lionel to come in scooping up all the pop fans, R&B fans, you know, people who like more, um, you know, melodic top 40 music. And in, in a similar way, I think Bruno can benefit from the vote splitting between Jay-Z and Kendrick Lamar. Now, I know a lot of people also, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the critics list, at least at the end of last year, um, surprisingly had Lord as, as their favorite album or, or the number two album. I saw a lot of Lord and Kendrick ties. And interestingly about Lord is this is her only nomination this year. So, I mean. Yes, that for, was amazing for your only nomination to be for album of the year. I think it has a chance. Um I think it has a, a fairly good chance as a long shot I, I, behind Bruno Mars. It would be the first time in Grammy history that uh, an album has been passed over for a nomination in its genre album category, which in her case is pop vocal album, wasn't nominated by the voters in that category. It would be the first time that an album was, that was passed over for that genre award has won album of the year if it wins so Mm. it's that's why i say it's a long shot but it's you know she's the only woman in the finals um she's the only pop album a lot of people would call bruno mars a pop album though it's slotted in r&b here um jack antonoff who's a big grammy favorite co-produced it so there are a lot of strengths there do you think um i mean obviously given out what happened two years ago when Taylor Swift beat Kendrick Lamar. A lot of people had an issue with that. Last year we saw Adele top Beyonce. Do you think the Grammy sort of organization or committee would be kind of nervous that, you know, four base, I mean, four other R&B hip hop albums, one pop album, and somehow the pop album takes the prize. I mean, that will be a, that'll be a little bit of a PR fiasco. Well, I have to believe that the Grammy organization would like these stories to be put to rest. And, uh, you know, the, the way for that to happen would be if one of these years, one of them wins. Now, there have been two hip-hop albums that have won Album of the Year. Uh, the Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. It was slotted in the R&B category in the Grammys, but it, it, it's hip-hop. And then the Outkast album. But that's only two, and and as big as hip-hop has been over the last 30, 40 years now, um, it's probably due for another one. We've mentioned uh, mentioned Childish Gambino is up for Album of the Year. Uh, Record of the Year, we haven't really... I feel like we almost bypassed uh, that. Does he have a chance? I feel like he's got a lot of uh, critical acclaim just for his, his different uh, sides of, of acting and music, or or do we think, uh, nope, doesn't have a chance? He'll definitely win for best traditional R&B vocal, best traditional R&B performance. So he will not go home empty-handed and to win two, two Emmys and at least one, maybe more Grammys in the same year is pretty good. I don't think he has a chance for album. I think progressive fans would rather see one of the rap albums win, and more traditional, older fans would rather see either Bruno or Lord win. 
Um, so I don't see a path to victory for him for album. I was surprised he was nominated for album. But it's uh, possible that Redbone will win Record of the Year. It's a great record. Uh, just a really excellent, very well-arranged record. It should have been nominated for a Grammy for Best Arrangement. Uh, I always think every time I hear it, boy, that's well-arranged. Um, but I don't think it's going to win. I think it'll be Despacito. I'm glad he was nominated, though. Uh, so for Album of the Year, uh, Paul, you're picking uh, 24 Karat Magic. I, I, something just in my head is telling me that, that this is Kendrick's year. I just kind of feel like overall impact, damn, uh, could be the one that wins. It could be. It could be his year. It's his third Album of the Year nomination. Doesn't mean he has to win because it's his third. Beyonce's had three, and she lost on her third, as we all know, last year. Um I just have a hard time seeing him win when there's a very strong, another very strong rap album in the finals, pulling votes away from him. Um, People who think Jay-Z will win album of the year and that voters will somehow flip and give it to Kendrick for best rap album, which is possible. I, you know, it's, it's a year where... it could go several different ways. I think I don't see Childish Gambino winning album, but the other four, there are scenarios where you can, you know, see it happening. Yeah, I mean, I think the Jay Z thing is so interesting too because I know a lot of people. I mean, maybe did not expect this nomination. The album necessarily, while it, you know, did cause some waves, wasn't necessarily a blockbuster in the way that the Kendrick album was. But now that Jay Z is obviously in the conversation. I mean, you look at his his pioneering efforts in in terms of, you know, just what he's done for hip hop and breaking it, you know, as one of the the biggest heavyweights of the past couple decades, bringing it to worldwide attention, getting um, inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, you know, as the first rapper. I mean, a lot of people think that obviously while Kendrick may be due for an award based on, you know, what he's done in the past couple of years, I know there's a big sentiment that feels like, you know, Jay-Z in terms of his entire career arc deserve something too and we've seen you know some of these shows give out these sort of career capping honors sometimes the biggest prizes can go to people decades after people think they really deserve their first notice sure steely dan uh won in 2000 a lot of people thought that was kind of a career award for uh you know asia and gaucho and all the things they had done years before back uh, a few years ago was you know some kind of a career award. It wasn't just for that album. It was, you know, here's somebody who's been doing quality work for 20 years. Here's a chance to give him album of the year. Let's take it. Uh, And Jay-Z, you know, there might be people who uh, vote for him as a kind of a makeup to Beyonce for having lost last year. A lot of people thought she could have won last year or should have won last year. Um. Adele could have taken record and song for for Hello, which she did. But, uh, you know, there's a sense that she need all three. Um, so that could play into uh, Jay-Z's uh, favor, mm-hmm. as well as the idea of this album shows that a rapper can uh, address middle-aged themes in the hip-hop format. You know, so that's a pioneering thing that he's doing. Um so as I say, you can make a, a pretty good argument for about four of these albums. I think I'm still going to s- stay with Bruno. 
That's over. Yeah. You've got Bruno. Uh, I, I guess I'm picking uh, Kendrick, although I, I could totally see uh, Bruno as well. Trevor, put, put put yours on the record. I feel like I, I mean I feel like Kendrick is my is my pick. I will say that I mean I I don't know I I still leave a little bit of room for Lord. I think also with with finesse though being a big hit at this time. I'm not sure when ballads are due, but. That definitely has revived interest in Bruno's album, so people may be giving it a new listen. Ballots were due December 21st. That's another issue. Um, I don't understand why the Grammys take five weeks to count the votes. Between December 21st... Before Christmas, The the voting closed on December 21st, and the winners will be announced January 28th. So, you know, it's tempting to look at what's happening in January. Hits, you know, Bruno has another smash hit from his album. You could say could finesse, you know, push him over the top. The voting was done, you know, a few weeks ago. So um, I, I would like to see them get the voting, close the voting much closer to the announcement of the awards. The Oscar votes are due five days before the Oscar telecast. Yeah. And I, was, I think that's I think that's a good way to do it. And I don't understand why they need five weeks to count the votes. Somebody, you know, if they're doing it by hand, somebody needs to find an accounting firm that has a computer. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe the fact there are so many categories, but even still, I mean, you, yeah, you should be able to knock that out in a day. Just it would make the voting more current, and um, the voting would be fresher and voters could respond to late-breaking developments. Right now, it's frozen in place for five weeks. All right, we talked a lot about Bruno Mars, Jay-Z. They'll be having a showdown one more time in the Song of the Year category. So they're actually up for the Triple Crown that Adele took home last year. Um, Gary, if you want to run us down, what are the songs that are going to be up for the Songwriters Award that is Song of the Year? Ooh, I get to say, and the nominees are Despacito, 444, uh, Issues, recorded by Julia Michaels, uh, 1-800-273-8255, recorded by Logic, and That's What I Like by Bruno Mars. I'm sticking with Desposito uh, for both record and song. They don't always go hand in hand, but uh, fairly often they do. I think it's between Desposito and 1-800. Desposito will, if it wins, be the first song that's mostly in a foreign language to win Song of the Year since Volare, way back at the first awards in 1958. That was, of course, in Italian. This is mostly in Spanish. The only one that I think has a, a shot at, take, at upsetting it is 1-800, because everyone admires what they did on that song. It's a, a very you know, a good song in, a, in its own right, but the fact that they managed to put across to a young radio listening audience uh, a message about suicide prevention and being conscious of friends who might be go- going through a hard time, I, I just think it's tremendous what they did. And... Uh, on top of it being a great song that could give it to that. It would be the first song with a social message to win since uh, Eric Clapton's Changed the World 21 years ago. 
Yeah, we, we talk about this being a songwriter's award, and I think you always uh, sort of equate that being uh, it has to be serious. But, yeah, songwriting still means you wrote Despacito. It, it, you still have to write it. Even the lyrics maybe aren't as deep uh, as Win 100. Uh, it's still a fun song. Everyone loves it. So uh, given the impact it had, I totally could see a Despacito winning. I, I feel like I'm leaning more towards Win 800 just, just for, as you mentioned, Paul, uh, the, the message, the importance, and, and, and uh, to have made it a connect like that. It, Pretty yes. amazing that, that he was able to make that message uh, musically sound like another pop song while at the same time uh, saying something so important. Yeah, no, it's it's terrific. They made that phone number as famous as as familiar to you know young radio listeners as as the number of their local Dominoes, and and that's a great achievement. If Desposito wins, it'll set a record for not only the first foreign language song since Volare, but the song with the most songwriters to win, six, there are six songwriters on that song. It also set a record of That's What I Like wins, that has eight songwriters, and If Issues wins, that has five. So if if any of those three wins this year, it'll, it'll break the current record, which is four songwriters. And of course, until uh, about until the year 2000, there was none that were even four. You know, back in the day, one person wrote a song, or maybe two, and now we're up to committees of you know, five, six, and eight writers. It's it's a big change. Yeah, we've talked about that a lot, uh, Paul, on the podcast. Uh, that that exact trend. It used to be about half the Hot 100 every week. It was written by by one person, and now uh, there, there's maybe one or two two songs a week. And we've asked different people about this. It, it sort of seems that it's it's a combination of uh, just uh, music songwriting has become more collaborative over the years, but also uh, contracts are are more uh, sophisticated at this point. Where in the past someone might have contributed uh, some lines and just didn't get credit. Now, uh, if you if you mm. have a certain beat, even as a producer uh, you can be a songwriter so it kind of sounds like those are the two uh, main angles to, to why that's happened right it's interesting that now it's even impacting the grammy song of the year nominees right i wonder i think there's probably people who are wondering the fact songs in a foreign language will that you know inhibit people from from either fully understanding it or comprehending it for you know a songwriter's award they're going to look at the lyrics most people probably don't speak spanish you know who would be voting for this award do you think that you know, I mean, I see you still picked it. I see you still picked it, obviously, but you don't think that'll downplay its chances uh, at all. It could. Um, if one eight hundred wins, then we'll say, "Well, there you go." Um, but I think the fact that it, the bilingual aspect in this year, might work in its favor. Uh, the melding of pop and Latin of people of different backgrounds and and um, bridging genres and nationalities. I think that might speak to a current need. And uh, so I, I, while it's close and I could see it going either way, I think I'll stick with Despacito. I like it. I like it. What's your pick, Trevor? I personally... Hmm, I mean, I personally lean towards 1-800 just because I think when people look at the ballot, I mean, it'll be kind of like... <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not even voting so much for it as if like, how could you vote against it? I mean, I do think. Oh, know, that's a that's well said. I mean, I do think you know, you know, given the social climate that it comes in, I mean, obviously uh, helps out a lot. And even not that it's going to be a political jab 
per se, but but I think that just the message and, and the timing is right. And I think, um, you know, maybe down the line we'll look at something different and say maybe, you know, it was helped by this moment and maybe it should have been a different song. But I think, you know, you only can vote in the moment. And literally this is this is a good year for that. I mean, even with things like 13 Reasons, 13 Reasons Why on Netflix, I mean, you know, suicide, suicide prevention, bullying, you know, um, anxiety. I mean, so many teen problems of come to the forefront and i think i think voters will uh, hopefully recognize that we are the world one that's what friends are for streets of philadelphia as i said change the world so there's a, a you know there's a precedent for songs that take on social messages to to win here yeah all right the other major category is uh, best new artist uh the nominees are uh, alessia cara khalid lil uzi vert julia michaels and SZA. Paul, give us your take. This one is tough. I think this is the hardest of the big four. Uh, I, I think SZA will take it. Uh, Alessia Cara obviously had three big hits, three top ten hits during the year. Um, do you think? Uh, do you think for Alessia it's odd that I know people were expecting her to be nominated last year, but the fact yeah. that she was sort of delayed a year. I mean, I wonder if that could either help her or it is very it's very odd to me when here was a top five hit two years ago it would seem to me that that constitutes prominence and that was the year she uh uh, you know exploded i think that probably fell into last year's a year ago's grammy year but um they try to have some flexibility in the best new artist category and have a a uh, longer window than they do than they're able to in the other three, you know, album, record, and song categories. Uh, it used to be they were very tight, and Whitney Houston wasn't allowed to compete because she had uh, recorded a duet with Teddy Pendergrass, you know, and Richard Marks wasn't allowed to compete. He he had one track on a soundtrack, and it wasn't even a hit soundtrack. It was the soundtrack to Nothing in Common. Yeah, I actually know uh, that song. A Tom Hanks movie. Burning of the Heart, um, I actually know that song. Very good, Gary. Yeah. Uh, you're, the, you're the one who knows it. Yeah. So they used to be too restrictive and and knock people out too too easily and freely, and now they, uh, you know, probably go a little far in the other direction, trying to include people. Uh, I'm glad for Alesha. I think she's a great singer, but you know that's a stretch to say that this was her first year. I know people want to attribute sort of these new rules they call it like maybe the gaga rule or more more recently the megan trainer rule which people thought was kind of odd that all about that bass was up for record of the year yes uh and song of the and year, song of the year yeah. a year before she was up for best new artist so it's kind of like yes. you know she could she could have won record of the year and then next year been the best new artist which i thought you know kind of throws us whack and hopefully no if she had won a Grammy. Once you win a Grammy, you're not allowed to compete. Uh, oh, oh, interesting. In fact, once you're nowadays, they keep changing the rules for best new artists. Now, once you're nominated in your own right, you're not allowed to compete. Uh, what the reason that 
Megan was allowed in the year after is they waited for her first full-length album. Right. Uh, and I think she'd had some indie albums, but her first full-length album with national distribution. And that came out the year after All About That Bass. So it gets confusing. Uh, Best New Artist is certainly the most complicated category, even for the Academy. They They labor over this and try and get it right. And it's very hard to, uh, you know, whatever decision you make, you're going to impact somebody else. And, uh, it, you know, no matter what you do, they, you're not going to please everybody. So they, they, they're up against that in this category. I do think the five people that they got that they nominated this year are very strong. It's a good field. And even some of the people who didn't make it, Logic didn't make it. And he was eligible this year even though it was his third album. Um, it's odd that Khalid and uh, Alessia Cara, who were featured on Logic's hit, are up for this, and Logic isn't. But that's he was just squeezed out. You know, five slots fill up pretty fast. Yeah, I guess Uzi Vert probably taking the rap slot, if you want to call it that. Uh, in this category, but of these five, who do you think uh, ends up walking away with it? Which I think this is one of the my probably my favorite category because it's the only Grammy award you can win, like you can only get one time on your first time. That's the only time you can get it. So, uh, in any case, of these five, uh, Paul, who's your pick for best new artist? I think SZA on the uh, strength of the critical acclaim she's gotten last year. Chance the rapper beat. Uh, the Chainsmokers and Marin Morris, uh, and he also had uh, a similar, you know, crit- amount of critical heat behind him. I think that that might help. Obviously, Al- Alessia is so strong, uh, so that wouldn't surprise me. But I, I think SZA, Trevor. Uh, yeah, I I could see SZA as well. I mean, I'm I'm worried if she and Khalid could split maybe some R and B votes. Um, I know SZA. SZA is the most nominated woman of the night, so I think people, um, I mean, with five nominations, will at least you know be checking her music out if you hadn't known who she was before or have checked it out since the voting is closed. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do wonder <laughs> if, um, I mean, you know, Julia Michaels really only one song, not a whole whole lot to to back it up yet, so maybe a little too early for most people. Even if she doesn't win, that's a, a great validation of being, uh, going from a songwriter to being an artist and immediately being nominated uh, for, for Best New Artist. That's, I feel like it's almost a win in its own right. Yes. No, it was a win for her to be nominated when she only had one hit. You know, she was borderline and she got in there, so that is the win. Yeah. And, um, a great hit, but only one hit. You know, if she had followed issues with, you know, another hit or two, she might be the front runner. I think SZA. Yeah. I, I, I do like her chances, and I think, um, I mean, I, I, I just think, especially maybe I mean, helping with the top dog connection, Kendrick, obviously, one of the big players of the night. I just think that, um, and even with the new song, well, well, again, the new song doesn't matter because the voting's closed, but I'm yeah. still yeah. going SZA. I, I, I feel like Alessia Cara could benefit from having been out so long and been on a bunch of hits, maybe in a category where maybe there isn't a whole bunch of separation. Maybe that is what sets her apart. But critically, right. something is drawing me to, to Khalid. I feel like he could be a very deserving winner just because we've heard a lot of different sides of it. We've heard him on the Logic song, on Marshmallow. Mm-hmm. You know, he's doing a really interesting 
to um, be fair, melody. Kara has that. I mean, she's got the Zed connection. Yeah, true. And she's got yeah. I mean, but the, but then he's he's singing on Young Dumb and Broke, which I think is a really it's a really melodic song. It just kind of feels feels like he's uh, bringing elements of old school R and B with with a, a new, Young a, a Dumb new is a good example. Yeah. Of a record that broke a little bit after the the close of voting. Uh, at, at least my sense is I'm hearing it on the radio a lot more in the last few weeks. Uh, if that if the voting was closer to the awards, you know, people might it would have helped him because he it would have been a second big hit in his own right as a lead artist and, and a totally different sound and type of song than location. Um, but but the record was still kind of building when voting closed. I would be okay with a tie in this category. I I think five way tie. I mean, really, there's so much there's so much talent and so many. I mean, just people doing just great. I mean, just talent and interesting things and and new sounds. I mean, it's it's really hard to. to that would be kind of fun. There's only ever been one tie in the big four categories. And that was in 77 when Evergreen and You Light Up My Life tied for Song of the Year. But it would be exciting, you know, and 40, what, one year, 40 years later, we're due for another tie. All right, well, those are the four uh, big categories for this year. We, we mentioned it at the beginning uh, how uh, Ed Sheeran uh, sort of seems like he, he may have been snubbed a little bit in, in the major categories. Gary, you, get, you, you, you have to downplay it so much. A lot of people believe that, <laughs> yeah. that Ed Sheeran somehow is missing. I think he deserved, uh, you know, at least record of the year for, for Shape of You. Um, it, it, he was punished because of the Grammys history of favoring you know mainstream pop over uh contemporary r&b and hip-hop and before that you know 30 years ago for favoring mainstream rock mainstream pop over rock but it's not his fault um and and to take it out on him when he had nothing to do with it it seemed unfair to me Uh, someone who's not up for record of the song of the year maybe similar uh, kind of a a sound, uh, Sam Smith, especially when you think of the vocals uh, on Two Good uh, Goodbyes, that's an amazing vocal. And I don't is that a snub as well? Yes. I was surprised. I, 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 it's a wonderful record and song, and I thought it would be up for both awards. He stayed in his same comfort zone rather than, you know, moving out of it and showing another side of him. And, you know, that if that argument was made in the committee, you know, there is some logic to that. There is, that makes some sense. But it, it's a great song and record, and I expected it to be nominated. And if they are so fond of artists showing another side of them and, and you know, venturing into another style and, and moving on, then, you know, Ed did that, you know, wonderfully on Shape of You. So one thing I will say in the defense of the committee is it is almost impossible to narrow it down to five in fact it is impossible right. the i've been playing the nominees cd which uh came out last week and they're 21 tracks they're obviously all very good tracks you don't get to that level of 
of success and, you know, without, you know, being lousy. They're all good. And I would urge your listeners to pretend they are committee members and listen to the 21 tracks and decide which five they would put up for record of the year. Uh, and it's hard. I feel it still didn't make it for uh, any of the big awards. It's a wonderful record. Uh, there, you know, virtually all 21 of these could have been up in the major categories. And, uh, you know, it, it's very difficult to narrow it down to five. Uh, one last question, Paul. Do you think in terms of Ed and in terms of Sam that um, is there any sort of precedent in some way that being a previous winner – maybe hurts you in terms of getting those next set of nominations. Sam Smith obviously won Best New Artist, Song of the Year, Record of the Year, When Stay With Me came out. Do you think that... There's not a clear pattern. Um, You know, Adele obviously followed an album that swept the big three with another album that swept the big three. Taylor, uh, you know, won Album of the Year the year before that, even though she had won before. I would guess that going forward... The committee will be more um, careful about putting somebody up. It might be a difficult thing uh, for Taylor to be nominated for Album of the Year next year uh, because they may say, gee, if we nominate her, the voters will uh, vote for her, and that would be her third Album of the Year winner. Um, So we may see the committee continue to... Uh, try and kind of outsmart the voters and 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 spread the wealth, direct the voters. Yeah, I'll ask uh, one more uh, question, uh, Paul. I guess it uh, sort of maybe fits in in the snub uh, category, but uh, big year. Uh, it's certainly at pop radio for uh, for for uh, all the One Direction guys. Uh, number one hits for for Nile. Uh, Zane had another big hit with uh, Taylor Swift. Uh, Liam uh, as well. Uh, Harry Styles, Sign of the Times. Uh, did okay, uh, didn't do as well as the others, but it seems like it maybe got more critical acclaim because he he uh, put out an album that was sort of reminiscent of, of 70s uh, glam rock in places. Uh, do, do solo members from, from boy bands over the years, is that just always considered uh, not quite Grammy levels, considered uh, a little too bubblegum for, for the Grammys? I guess. I think the Grammys were wrong. On uh, I think the, uh, the 1D guys made great records this year. A Sign of the Times, I think, is a work of art. And I thought it would be up for Record of the Year, and, it, you know, it wasn't. Um, and it, I don't think it's up for anything, even, you know, pop vocal, which is like a very competitive category. But um, I, th- I thought it showed a lot of ambition and... Uh, Niall Slohan is also a great record. Uh, uh, it's not as as maybe groundbreaking as Sign of the Times was, but it's it's a really nice record. I think they probably did suffer from coming from One Direction, which has which was never nominated for a Grammy in any category: best new artist, best pop album, best pop uh, duo group, anything. Uh, which is uh, kind of amazing when you think of the number of hits they had and how successful they were. Um, artists can overcome uh, the, coming out of boy bands. George Michael won Album of the Year for Faith. Right. Uh, Justin Timberlake has been nominated for Album of the Year twice with his first two albums. Hasn't won yet. Um, so in those cases, their growth 
was recognized and and their maybe bubblegummy beginnings uh, worked in their favor when people saw how they'd matured. Um, for some reason, Styles' record didn't uh, get that recognition this year. All right. Well, Paul, thank you so much. Uh, your insights are just so valuable uh, for having uh, followed uh, the Grammy uh, Awards for, for many years. And as the founder of Billboard's uh, Chartbeat column, the, the, the podcast is named after uh, Chartbeat for what you came up with uh, when you started it in uh, 1981. So thank you so much, Paul. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Trevor. All right. Thanks. Hey, well, we keep in score. So uh, make sure we tune oh. <laughs> well, we'll We'll see if uh, Bruno, Double Despacito, and SZA bring it home. There you go. Well, thanks to Paul for uh, his predictions out there. Feeling like it's going to be a little even spread. No Adele triple crown sweep for anybody out there. Um, but we're interesting to see. I mean, obviously we saw with the nominees this year such a, you know, a slate that really people were probably not expecting, and certainly a lot more, uh, you know, R&B, hip hop, urban driven. So we'll see what happens when it comes to the actual winners this time, and, and see if there's any milestones there. We got so deep into uh, the four major categories uh, and, and a little bit more, but uh, so many other categories we could talk about. I, I just mentioned a couple uh, real quick that may be just a little more niched, but but are sort of interesting uh, for their own uh, reasons. Yeah, and going off uh, how we see so much at the top with those big four categories being, uh, you know, a lot of competition between people in the same genre. I'm interested to see how that kind of bleeds down into those respective genre categories. Uh, one of the things that I'm kind of keeping an eye out on is Best Urban Contemporary Album, which I think will be interesting. Uh, Beyonce won that last year for Lemonade. Um, this year, I mean, there's a good mix of nominees in there. You got you got Free Black by Black. You have Awaken My Love by Childish Gambino, which we know is up for Album of the Year. You've got American Teen by Khalid, who's up for Best New Artist. Control SZA, who's also up for Best New Artist. And then you've got uh, Starboy by The Weeknd. And we know uh, The weekend has taken home a few Grammys in the past as well, so we can never count him out. I mean, it feels like, I guess most people would say that because Childish is up for Album of the Year, that that probably gives him the lock in that category. But I'm not sure. I mean, with Khalid and with SZA in there as well. Yeah. I mean, SZA is the most nominated woman of the night with five awards and people obviously, you know, really feeling her. I'm, I'm interested to see what, where that goes because I it feels like it could go... A lot of ways and also you know sometimes maybe people like to use some of these uh quote-unquote lesser categories to to highlight people who will not be necessarily highlighted in the upper categories so maybe that's where a SZA, maybe where khalid gets gets a pickup if they don't think that person is going to win best new artist so that for me is one of the ones that i'm that i'm really interested in watching all right i'm going way deeper Best folk album because I, I manage the Americana folk. Okay, chart. that's definitely going to be the pre-show. <laughs> uh, the, the Amy Mann is up uh, for uh, mental illness, which uh, she will tell you is one of her happier uh, titles. Uh, for her, that that's a happy title, but uh, really good album. She's thirty years into her uh, career, uh, more than that. Uh, former lead singer of Till Tuesday had a top ten hit in uh, nineteen eighty five on the one hundred voices carry, but she's become a little bit more of a folk singer songwriter type artist in recent years and just just a great album here's a little piece of one of the songs 
Else we're flashing back to uh, this week, uh, Trevor, to wrap things up. While we're talking about Grammys, we are going to take it back to 1973. This week in Billboard chart history, uh, one of the all-time great Grammy runs began uh, with a song that went to number one. We're talking about the one, the only, the legendary, you can hear it now. Superstition by Stevie Wonder, which hit number one this week on Hot 100 in 1973. You take that song from from New York, you take it, you can take it down to the Argentina, you can take it to the Australian Outback, up to Japan, wherever you play it on that little clavinet, and people are people are gonna know that song. They're gonna know that. They're gonna, I mean, just you know how amazing to have a song that literally probably everybody who's even heard pop music would know. I guess part of the key is uh, to have an instrument that most people aren't going to have anyway. Not too many people have a clavinet, I'm assuming. Uh, probably not. And I mean, it just, you know, in your early 20s to have that intuition. This was the first single off his Talking Book album, which a lot of people really consider the the beginning of what many refer to as the, the golden period, the golden years of Stevie's career in the in the 70s, when so many classic albums, obviously we've got talking book here we're gonna have fulfilling this is first finale coming up and then really bringing it home with songs in the key of life and when we talk about the grammys in particular this is a period where between 1974 when he was nominated uh for superstition and some of the work off talking book through 1977 stevie wins 12 grammy awards including a trifecta of albums of the year three albums of the year in a four-year period and perhaps they say the only reason that he did not win all four years is because in the year that he did not win, he did not put out an album. Yeah. I'd be surprised if that could ever happen again because people just don't release music uh, as frequently, uh, at least full albums like they did back then. That may never happen again. And forget about, I mean, just forget about putting out an album. I mean, to put out, that's all good quality music. I mean, right. no one can, you know, argue that, oh, Stevie just won because he's Stevie or whatever. I mean, those, those albums all stand the test of time. My favorite anecdote, though, in that period is when, when uh, so Stevie won it for two consecutive years, missed out on the third year, and then won it the fourth year. In that uh, that year in between, Paul Simon won the Album of the Year Grammy, and the last person he thanked was Stevie Wonder for not putting out an album that year. <laughs> Everyone just knew uh, how talented Stevie was at the time, and of course how much he was sweeping up that winter circle. And funny enough, one of the things that I find most sort of endearing about this whole thing that started off with Superstition is um, three times winning album of the year in that category. There was a Grammy special um, a few weeks back on CBS where they documented for the 60th anniversary a lot of big moments and a lot of, you know, talked to a lot of celebrities and their impressions and everything. Stevie was one of the people they spoke with mentioning this three times 
getting the album of the year in that short span and how historic that was. And he said, you know, of course, he's very happy, very proud, has 25 Grammys overall to his name, but said that he still always wishes he could win the best song of the year Grammy. Yeah. And that's one thing that he he would still like to have. And I thought, yeah, I mean, how, you know, for this guy who's three album of the years sitting there, 25 trophies back home, you know, he's still got a goal out there. Still has something that he hasn't achieved that he wants to. And I thought that was just so, so cool and so endearing that, you know, that ke- that's one of the things that might keep him going. And to wrap us up, uh, four years later, same week, Stevie's collecting another number one. So here we are in another Grammy Award winning composition by Stevie Wonder from the Songs in the Key of Life album. This is I Wish. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.